The Way BK podcast is dedicated to pursuing and promoting a true understanding of Jesus Christ and the transformation he provides for all who submit to him to live in a way that is pleasing to God as revealed in the Bible. Let's join our hosts as they discuss The Way. The Bible is a constantly contemporary work of literature. It's more than a work of literature. Of course, if you're somebody who believes in the Bible, then what you actually believe is that it's God's actual word communicated by human beings uh, or communicated by God through human beings to human beings. But sometimes we can run into things and say, I don't know, is this really very relevant? I mean, they're walking around in sandals or they're riding chariots or they're doing all kinds of things. Other times we see stories and we say, whoa, this seems extremely contemporary, extremely relevant. And a lot of times what can happen, the way we see that is in the form of social events or experiences that happen around us or social movements that then you go back and you read parts of the Bible and you say, wow, this kind of looks like the thing that I'm seeing in the world around me right now. One such occurrence is in the story of David, specifically in his relationship with Jonathan. Uh, Jonathan was the son of King Saul, who was the king who preceded David, who failed God and failed God's purposes. And God said, you know what? I'm done with you. I'm going to remove the kingdom from you. I'm going to give it to somebody who's after my own heart, David. David defeats Goliath the giant. And then 1 Samuel 18 opens with these words. When David had finished speaking with Saul, Jonathan was bound to David in close friendship and loved him as much as he loved himself. Saul kept David with him from that day on and did not let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as much as himself. Then Jonathan removed the robe he was wearing and he gave it to David along with his military tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. And then the story proceeds to talk about David's many adventures serving King Saul and working for God's purposes and fighting battles and so on and so forth. But for our purposes right now, we've got to ask this question of what's going on with David and Jonathan? Many readers have come across this story and said, wait a second, two men who love each other as they love themselves? That doesn't sound like a friendship to me. That sounds like something a little more. Two men making a covenant you know what kind of people make covenants with each other husbands and wives what's going on with david and jonathan by the way at the end of jonathan's story whenever jonathan and saul die in battle this is found in second samuel chapter 1 and in verse 26 this whole basically half of second samuel 1 is david writes this really moving dirge a funeral song a lament over the loss of saul and jonathan in battle and this is what he says about jonathan listen to this this is a kicker uh verse 25 2 Samuel 1.25, How the mighty have fallen in the thick of battle. Jonathan lies slain on your heights. I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were such a friend to me. Your love for me was more wondrous than the love of women. Were David and Jonathan gay? That's a question a lot of people ask. I mean, they had a deep bond. There's another scene in between the two that we read. So we got the introduction of their friendship in 1 Samuel 18, and then the conclusion of their friendship, at least Jonathan's uh, life on earth. Really, David did a lot of things for Jonathan and Jonathan's family even after his death. But we'll just say the conclusion of their friendship in 2 Samuel 1, we've got he loved him as he loved himself. They made a covenant together. And then your love to me was more wondrous than the love of women. In between that, there's a scene where Jonathan saves the life of David from his father Saul uh, 
and risks his own life, really, to save David's life. And then whenever they go and they meet, they hug and they kiss and they weep and they embrace and they mourn the fact that they'll, well, they end up seeing each other again, but they don't assume that they'll necessarily get to see each other for a very long time and only after many troubles have been navigated. This is a pretty affectionate relationship. It's a pretty close, intimate relationship between these two men. What's really going on here with David and Jonathan? Um, okay, so let's just start here and address the question. Were they gay? Is there evidence? Does the evidence support the notion? Because you may not be surprised to know that a number of people who are Bible readers and advocates for um, LGBTQIA matters, particularly gay relationships, and trying to find even biblical backing for same-sex relations, will oftentimes go to the story of David and John and say, hey, look, here's an example of uh, a queer-affirming relationship uh, or the Bible being queer-affirming of this relationship between Jonathan and David. Is that what's going on? Let's just go ahead and start with the possibility that could be what's going on. I guess I'll go ahead and tell you, spoiler alert, I think the answer is no. But let's start with that premise, and let's kind of examine it step by step. So a, a few things, a few pieces of evidence that would lead us away from this, um, even within the story, and then I'm going to back out a little bit and say some things big picture. Um, first of all, they're both married with families, with children. Um and actually, David, we know for sure, had several wives that he took to himself. Now, someone could respond legitimately and say, yeah, well, I mean, come on. You couldn't be out and be gay. And lots of people throughout history, even in not that recent of history, have been same-sex attracted or even been practicing uh, homosexuals. And they had families. They had husbands or wives or whatever the case may be to be accepted socially or just to kind of get along with social norms and to kind of function. But really, that wasn't their their true love. That wasn't their true uh, desire and all that sort of thing. All right, so fair enough. But this is a piece of the puzzle. They're both married with children, really engaged in those relationships. A second piece of this, though, is did you notice in the text in 2 Samuel 1, which is often the verse, your love for me was better than the love of women or more wondrous than the love of women. Did you notice how that verse started in 2 Samuel 1, verse 26? He says, Jonathan, my brother. He doesn't say, Jonathan, my lover. He says, Jonathan, my brother. Now, someone could say, oh, well, that's a cultural way of talking about you know, any kind of male-female. You know, it's a uh, national or ethnic embrace. It's a way of talking about the intimacy. And so that doesn't necessarily negate the possibility of them being in a same-sex relationship. That's true, but i got to say... We're starting to stack up some pieces here. He calls him my brother and kind of acts that way with him and speaks that way about him. I'll also say that very phrase, the phrase that people often point to to say, aha, look, this is a queer relationship. David and Jonathan were gay. Well, it says there in 2 Samuel 1 verse 26, he says, your love for me was more wondrous than the love of women. What's the love of women? Well, that kind of phrase would be is pretty clearly code for sexual love, romantic relationships, the kind of love that exists between a husband and wife. He says that the love he has with Jonathan is different than that. He says it's better than that. There's a comparison and contrast. Now, someone could say, well, yeah, that's because it's the true desire of his heart. You know, he's same-sex attracted. He's gay, and so it's better than the love of women. Or maybe we could say he's bi, but he leans toward uh, men rather than women or whatever. It could be, but once again, and if with his only argument, then I guess we could go either way on it. But we've got now that they're both married with children, David calls Jonathan his my brother, not my lover. 
And then he makes a contrast. Whatever love he shared with Jonathan was different and better than the love that he shared in his romantic sexual relations with women. Fourth thing I'll say, and this one to me actually is leads into the bigger um, uh, and better answer to this. If David and Jonathan had a sexual relationship, the Bible would have been explicit about it. And if you're new to the Bible or if you're not familiar with this, I'll just tell you, the Bible is not shy about calling out and pointing out sexual behaviors of any kind, pure and and uh, chaste sexual behavior like in marriage. Adam knew his wife, kind of a code language, but we all know what it means. The book of Song of Solomon, very explicit in its sexual language. So the Bible's not shy talking about it. And it's not just um, sexual relations between men and women in marriage. The Bible speaks about a great number of sexual, I'm just going to say, perversions, things that go against God's designs as far as the behaviors that people engage in. Uh, for instance, all throughout the Torah, in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, there's prohibitions about a great number of sexual behaviors, incest, bestiality, and yes, same-sex relations. Besides that, besides the prohibitions, we also have stories where people actually engage in same-sex uh, behavior, homosexual behavior, and those stories get laid out explicitly. If David and Jonathan were uh, gay lovers, if this is the Bible uh, doing some work in uh, affirming queer relations, it would have said so because it does say so in many other places. And you might say, no, no, no. See, these were the heroes of Israel. Jonathan in the first royal family of Israel. David, the great king of Israel. So you wouldn't put that in there because they don't want to feature the fact that one of their national heroes would have been gay. Well, I would argue, no. Go check out 2 Samuel chapters 11 through pretty much the end of 2 Samuel. So pretty much a fourth of the story of the book of Samuel and the story of David is about some of the worst kinds of sins you could imagine. Ones that, just like same-sex relations, would have you killed under the laws of the Torah. David steals another man's wife, then tries to deceive the man, then has the man killed. Then after that, one of David's children sexually assaults another one of his children. And then another one of his children exacts vengeance upon the one who had sexually assaulted their sister. Later on, <clears throat> David commits a great sin of taking up a census and 70,000 Israelites are killed. Here's my point. The scriptures are not bashful about outing David for all of his sins. So why would this one be any different? And all those other sins, once again, are things that were of a sexual nature, were injustices, would have been evil according to the law, and were shameful to all the people of Israel because here their great king, their great hero, committed these sins. Why would this one be such a suggested but not explicit pseudo-secret in the scriptures? It just doesn't make sense. The Bible is not shy about talking about sins, particularly sexual sins, and specifically um, sin, sexual sins of the homosexual variety. So really there's no reason to think this was some kind of secret or this some sort of wink-wink kind of description of the sexual relationship between David and Jonathan. There's really not any evidence that they did have a sexual relationship. By the way, I'll just add to this. God is very clear in the scriptures, in the covenant that David lived under, God is very clear that sexual relations between people of the same sex were prohibited. They were wrong. They're sinful. Same is said in the New Testament, by the way. Romans chapter 1, 1 Timothy 1, 1 Corinthians 6 all speak to this uh, fact. 
besides what's said back in the Old Covenant. If David were a unrepentant, long-term, practicing homosexual, God wouldn't have rewarded him all along the way. God wouldn't have honored him the way he did. Whenever David did sin and it was revealed to him, he repented of it. He changed. Um, I should say it maybe a little bit better. Whenever David violated God's law for what was right, and it was shown to David he repented and he changed and he did better. And that was the reason, at least a primary reason, that humility and faithfulness was why God regarded David as a man who was after his own heart, who had the kind of heart God was seeking and who had a heart who was seeking after God. To think that David was engaging in a long-term, unrepentant, same-sex relationship with Jonathan really doesn't map onto David's own character, nor does it map onto the way God interacts with people including David. So no, David and Jonathan were not in a queer-affirming relationship in the Bible. That's not what we're reading here. They were not gay lovers. They were not homosexuals. They just weren't. But besides that question, which I hope that gives you some answer, and if you still disagree, you can reach out. We can talk about it some more. But besides that actual question, uh, this story means something a lot more important than for us answering, does the Bible affirm same-sex relationships or not? It doesn't. It explicitly forbids them and condemns them. And the David and Jonathan story is no exception to that. But this story is a story about love. It's a story about love between two men. It's a story about covenant love between two men. It's a story about emotion-driven and emotion-stirring covenant love between two men. It's a story about friendship. I think this is one of the best things that the story of David and Jonathan does for us is it helps us understand what true friendship is really all about. You know, all too often in our culture and probably in every human culture throughout time, friendship can be um, really a way of talking about I like this person because they're benefiting me in some way. But the story of David and Jonathan, the deep bond that these two men shared with each other, teaches us the, the real essence of friendship. And it's so deep that actually whenever we read the story, we just kind of have to assume, unless you firmly believe it's not the case, you sort of naturally assume based on the way culture tells us relationships and love work, this must be a romantic relationship. These men must be lovers with each other because they're so deeply bonded to each other. See, what we've done perhaps too much is we've lost the understanding of the value of real and true friendship. And there's a few things that David and Jonathan's story teaches. And I'm not going to read all the scriptures, but I'll just tell you, if you start around this passage in 1 Samuel 18 and read the story of stories of David and Jonathan and their interactions with each other, you learn a lot about what kind of friendship human beings should be pursuing and what God wants for people to have and to share with each other. First of all, true friendship means that I want what's best for the other person. Not that I'm looking for what I can get from my best out of another person, but what can I give? What can I contribute? What's best for the other person? You see this right off the bat in 1 Samuel 18, where Jonathan gives David all of his stuff. Jonathan is the one in power, if you can think about it this way, right? Jonathan's father is the king. Jonathan, therefore, is the heir to the throne. And yet here he learns of and he witnesses David. God's new anointed one. The one that Jonathan kind of should have seen as a challenger. Instead, Jonathan sees as someone who's a soul brother, who's someone who loves him 
uh, who he can love even more than he loves himself. He gives him all of his clothes. He gives him his armor. He gives him his sword, his bow, and his belt. And if you read a little earlier in 1 Samuel 18, the text in chapter 14 tells us, excuse me, earlier in 1 Samuel in chapter 14, the text tells us that these weren't common implements of war. Only Saul and Jonathan even had a sword, for instance, because there were no blacksmiths in Israel at that time. Now, maybe the uh, the industry had developed a little bit by this time, but regardless, there weren't a lot of men running around with swords and spears and bows and that sort of thing. But Jonathan looks at this man, David, his friend, the one that he loves more than he loves himself, the one he makes a covenant with, a commitment to be there for and to love and to cherish and to nurture in his life. And he says, hey, I want what's best for you. And if that means giving you all of my stuff, I'll give you all my stuff. And I guess that leads to the second thing about friendship. Real friendship requires sacrifice. Jonathan is, by the way, the main one who illustrates all these things to David. But certainly David did the same for Jonathan. Jonathan not only gives David all of his gear and really kind of the the signs of status that Jonathan would have had as the king's son, as the heir to the throne, he hands those over to David. But he does even more Uh, later on. He'll risk his reputation before his father on two different occasions. One of those ended up having his father breathing out threats and murder against him. And yet Jonathan says, hey, this is from my friend David. I'm going to do it. I don't care. Real friendship makes sacrifices. You do things for the other person. You know, after I mentioned earlier that after Jonathan's death, David actually still continued his friendship. Since they had made a covenant, part of the covenant was that David would care for Jonathan's family. Now, I just want to remind you, to care for Jonathan's family was to care for the descendants of David's rival, if we can just say it in political terms, King Saul. King Saul had Jonathan, Jonathan had his kids, and then David is this new dynasty that takes over. For David to take care of Jonathan's kids was to take care of the previous uh, ruling dynasty. What kind of king would do that? What kind of per- that's that's political suicide? You're helping out the guys who used to rule. What if they decide they want to mount a rebellion? By the way, there were people from the house of Saul that mounted rebellions against David, but David didn't care. He understood that true friendship meant sacrifice. Even if that means sacrificing some reputation or some political capital or the way people might perceive you or what might just be easiest for yourself. You give for the other person. That's real friendship. You think about other people's interests, not your own, and you make sacrifices for the other person. Rather than seeing what you can get out of them, you see what you can give to them. That's the essence of true friendship. True friendship therefore also means that we share in success and we share in failure. 1 Samuel 18 is an example of sharing in success. David defeats Goliath. The Philistines are on the run. Uh, He's going to attack them even more. And Jonathan shares in that. He participates in that. David shares in his success with Jonathan. He doesn't say, hey, you didn't go out there to fight Goliath. Or, hey, you're not the guy that God chose to be the only. No, come on, man. Let's work on this together. I don't care. I I don't need to hold this for myself. He's willing to share in his success. But in 1 Samuel 23, whenever David's been run out of town and he's in exile and he's in trouble, we see this great line um, beginning in verse 14. It says, David then stayed in the wilderness strongholds and in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph, and Saul searched for him every day. But God did not hand David over to him. David was in the wilderness of Ziph in Horish when he saw that Saul had come down to take his life. Then Saul's son Jonathan came to David in Horish, and he encouraged him in God saying, Don't be afraid, for my father Saul will never lay a hand on you. You yourself will be king of Israel, and I'll be your second in command. Even my father Saul knows it is true. 
Then the two of them made a covenant in the Lord's presence. And afterward, David remained in Horish while Jonathan went home. All right, David's not succeeding. He's on the run. He's in trouble. He's constantly being hunted down and attacked by King Saul. What does Jonathan do? He shares in, maybe failure is too strong of a word, but difficulty. How about that? Jonathan could have stayed away been like, you know what? I'll pray for you, David. I hope things go well for you, man. I miss you. I wish we could stay. But see you later. Real friends share in the difficulties, share in the failures of those whom they love. Man, this one really hits me. I think about how often it's easy for me to be friends with people when it's nice, when it's fun, when it's easy, when they're doing well. How well, I, how well do I do when they're in difficulty, when things are failing all around them, when they're in trouble? Real friendship, the kind of friendship that David and Jonathan, the kind of friendship that can be even better than the love of women, romantic relations, sexual relations, the kind of friendship that deserves and can be measured by a covenant relationship, a bond that's made before God, not just some sort of informal, casual sort of, oh yeah, we're friends. No, no, no. Real friendship is something where you're bonded together, putting the other person's interests before your own, making sacrifices for that person, not seeing what you can get, but trying to figure out what you can give to better them, being willing to share in your success with them and share in their difficulty whenever they're in trouble. Last thing I'll say from this verse, we learn about true friendship and what makes the story of David and Jonathan, the love story of David and Jonathan so beautiful is that real true friends encourage each other in God. You know, the fact is, I think even if you were just a person who doesn't believe in the Bible, doesn't believe in all this God stuff, probably those first three things you could get behind like, yeah, actually that is a real friend, you know, to put the other person's interests first, to care about them, uh, to make sacrifices, to, to share in success and in difficulties and failure. That makes sense. That's, those are good friends. And we can all think about friends who have done those things for us throughout our lives. But I want to tell you that every friendship without God at the center will eventually falter and fail because there's no basis for all those things. There's no basis for putting the other person first. Uh, there's no resource to be able to make sacrifices all the time for the other person. Uh, there's no emotional and mental integrity to be able to share in your own success and the other person's difficulties with abandon. You just can't do it unless God's at the center. Remember what David and Jonathan did in their friendship? They had an affection for each other. They had a care for each other. They had an admiration for each other. The thing that bonded them together was their covenant. In the Bible, a covenant isn't a contract between two people, but it's a commitment that two people make to God and before God on behalf and in relation to each other. But really, the person they're committing to is God. They're swearing to God that I'll be loyal to this person. I'll do good to this person. I'll treat them with the same kindness you treat me. And so here in this moment, as David's in one of his darkest hours, Jonathan comes and he encourages his friend in God because that was who was at the center of their relationship anyways. I wonder what that conversation was like. I wonder how many tears were cried and how many laughs were shared and what stories they reminded each other of, of God's great acts of the past and the way God had done them good now and the goodness of God generally. That was the core to their friendship. That's what made it such that David would say at the end of his life, how I mourn for you, Jonathan, my brother. Your love for me was more wonderful than the love of women. That's what made it so that the person describing their relationship at the very beginning of 1 Samuel 18 would say, they loved each other as they loved themselves because they had learned love from the God who loved them even more than he loved himself.
Friendship is hard to come by. It really is. In some ways, even romantic relationships are kind of easier to come by, uh, perhaps, than not the most meaningful and the best versions of it. But finding real friends, people you can count on, people you can trust, people who help you through your dark days, can be insanely tough. But whenever you find the people that really love God, you'll find real friends. You'll find people who put your interests before their own. You'll find people who are willing to make sacrifices to give you what you need. You'll find people who share their success with you and are willing to partake in your difficulties and failures right alongside, no matter what they've got going on. Because it's rooted in God. It's a covenant. No. David and Jonathan were not gay. And it's probably a sign that we're just pretty culturally ignorant and it's a sign probably of how far we've strayed from understanding the meaning of friendship that we can't see this story so clearly for what it actually is. Two men who deeply loved each other as true friends because of their God who loved them and who taught them how to carry out a kind of friendship that would last forever and change their lives. The aim of The Way BK is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ across Brooklyn and beyond. For more information or to contact us, please visit www.thewaybk.com.